me off. Money never sleeps, pal. Go to work. All I have in this world is my balls and my word, and I don't break them. Show me the money. Welcome to the Business Commuter Podcast. This is episode two. We'll be discussing Super Mario, How Nintendo Conquered America by Jeff Ryan. And as we always like to do, we like to take some time and discuss the author of the book so we have a a clear understanding of not only what he's writing, but uh, his context for writing it. So Nick, who exactly is Jeff Ryan? Well, Jeff Ryan is a lifelong gamer. He was featured on Salon.com, NPR's All Things Considered, and uh, about 10, 15 years ago, he had reviewed 500 video games and four console launches for Quadrillion. One of those uh, Web 1.0 boom. And uh, based on what we know today, he's based out of uh, Bloomberg, New Jersey. He has an active Twitter handle, at Jeff underscore Ryan. And he had a website, um, thesupermariobook.com. And that expired in November of this year. He wrote this book back in August of 2011. That's when it was published anyway. And uh, just, to give, just to give some basic background on the book, how it's sold, uh, this was not a bestseller, Chris. That's interesting. I thought it would have been. <laughs> it was uh, just, some, just some data for you. In the Kindle store, this is ranked 485,000 books from number one in the in the Kindle store. Well, he almost got there. Yeah, close, close, but um, it gets a little better once you drill, start drilling down in certain categories. In the business, money, industry, computer technology, this is ranked 417. In the business, money, biography, and history, company histories, 380. And in the uh, computers, technology, programming category, it was number 200. So, I mean, I don't think it hit the New York Times bestseller list, but, I mean, this this people bought this book, Chris. Yeah, it, I really enjoyed this book. I thought it was a, a great read, and I recommended it, and I actually gifted it this year. Did you really? I did. Um, I don't think we're going to post this until after Christmas, but uh, my little brother will be receiving this, this book as he's an avid oh, cool. Nintendo fan. Uh, but back to Jeff Ryan. You know, you can't find his website anymore, um, but on his Twitter page, which is at Jeff underscore Ryan, his Twitter handle says, Jeff Ryan is the author of Super Mario, How Nintendo Conquered America, and is force-feeding people Mario news like millet down a duck's esophagus. So I think he's a a huge Nintendo fan, and uh, it really shows when reading this book. It it definitely reads uh, like a fan of a lot of personal stories. Um, a lot of interesting facts, and not so much on the business side, which is what we normally are after in this podcast, uh, but he definitely gives some clues on how Nintendo ran. His uh, recount of the origin story, you know, is really phenomenal, I think, uh, but clearly, clearly does not focus on the business side very much. 
for example, Nintendo is a Japanese company, as, as most of us know. It's publicly traded, uh, but I believe he mentioned the phrase stock price or dis discussed stock prices in this book twice. Yeah, he, he really didn't spend much time discussing the financial status. Actually, I don't think he spent any time talking about the financial status of Nintendo, other than I think at one point he said they were just raking in billions of dollars. But uh, yeah. nothing on the specifics uh, of how they did. Um, but it is very fascinating. So Nintendo started on the late 1880s, 1800s, and uh, they were very opportunistic. They started out as a textile company. Even had a uh, taxi cab company, a uh, trading cards, um, a, a top ramen in Popeye form company, and then uh, they also had some love hotels. That was a kind of a surprise to me. Yeah, you know, you know, I, I think Nintendo has done such an amazing job of branding themselves, especially since the 1980s, that you don't really realize there's a there's a company with a long history that kind of struggled to really find themselves. Yeah, no, not at all. And I don't think it was until the 1970s that they they noticed that Atari games uh, within arcades and, and restaurants were doing really well, and they decided to, to t try to go after that market. You know, one thing that they had been really into in the 1970s was uh, gaming cards or playing cards. And they, they saw this, this uh, new arcade industry as something that they could possibly parlay their love of, of the gaming, you know, the, the playing cards, into something maybe uh, a little more modern. And what they did is they had created an uh, arcade game called Radar Scope. And it was a kind of a cheap imitation of Space Invaders. And they had made 3,000 of these um, arcade games, and they sold about 1,000. Oh, that's, uh, that's, that's great sales. Not, not exactly... Um, something that's going to change the world. So the uh, the Nintendo America subsidiary, which consisted about of six people in in the state of Washington, you know, called called back to Japan and said, "We've got two thousand arcade games sitting in the warehouse collecting dust. No one wants to buy them." So headquarters authorized a rewrite of the motherboard, and the game that they came up with and updated these 2,000 councils uh, collecting dust. And when I say councils, think, you know, big 1980s era arcade arcade boxes that you stand in front of uh, with a game called Donkey Kong. <laughs> uh, this is the the old Donkey Kong that you find in the arcades where uh, there's a, uh, what we later find out is Mario, and he's trying to save his Princess Peach, and a Donkey Kong is taken, and He's uh, climbed to the very top of scaffolding. He's throwing barrels at Mario. Uh, so it was it was a really interesting, very basic game. Uh, Jeff Ryan uh, almost excessively goes into the details behind the the game, including the colors and the and the behind the decision behind the colors. Um, and it, it's actually interesting because Nintendo got sued because of this game. I don't know if you remember that, Nick, but. Uh, I can't remember which uh, which production company uh, produced Kong, but they sued That's Nintendo right. over Donkey Kong, and then they actually sued every company that had a part in uh, releasing that game. And Nintendo held up, and the, and they refused to 
give in and settle with this production company. And in the end, Nintendo actually won the case. And that company, the production company had to pay out Nintendo and they had to pay back everyone who settled with them. That's right. So, you know, obviously Donkey Kong was a huge success. They sold these 2,000 arcade units collecting dust and they, they made and sold a lot more. And just to kind of hit the highlights, the author does a, just a beautiful job. And if you're, a, if you're feeling nostalgia for, you know, your old uh, Nintendo NES and want to read this book, we highly recommend, you know, reading it because the author does an amazing job of drilling down on each, you know, major point, major game, major character. But here's, here's the highlights. Donkey Kong was a smash hit in 1981. Nintendo follows up with the Nintendo NES. You remember the, the game that sat on right under the TV um, with Super Mario and Duck Hunt in 1985. That original game sold 40 million copies. 40 million copies. Wow. They came out with, you know, they continued to innovate with Game Boy, 1989. Super Nintendo, 1991. They announced in 1995 that they had sold their one billionth game, that's, one billionth cartridge. That's incredible. That's that's real money. Uh, 1996 was the Nintendo 64. Game Boy Color came out in 1998. GameCube 2001. Nintendo DS 2004. And now the current gaming console, the Wii, in 2006. Clearly, Nintendo um, had this period of innovation from 1980, roughly, to 2006, and has built just this amazing company. Um, one of the things that the author you know, hinted at, referred to, is Nintendo has kind of had a lack of innovation over the last 10 years. Um, that being said... Currently, Nintendo is a $17.4 billion uh, company in terms of market capitalization. <laughs> you know, last, last year, they had $4.79 billion in revenue, zero debt, and $7.23 billion in cash. That's, that's a great financial standing. Right. And, of course, this is publicly traded in yen, so these, these are conversions to dollars right. as of uh, late 2015. So, uh, you know, I, I really had a, reading this book, I had kind of a, a feeling of nostalgia and, or true, I mean, my, my first interaction with Nintendo was in the early 90s in grade school. Mm -hmm. And I, I had a friendship with a guy by the name of Chris Anderson. And Chris, Chris was a good guy. We basically played Nintendo for hours every time I went over. And... I remember every time I left his house, I would have a blister on my left finger, on my left <laughs> thumb, you know, from the directional controller. Yeah. And my, my right thumb would be like sore from, the ligaments would be sore from jamming those two red buttons on the right-hand side. And it, it tugs so hard at um, childhood memories. I actually went out and bought a Nintendo NES, vintage, refurbished, for my three-and-a-half-year-old son in hopes that we can, on Christmas morning, um, you know, 
he can figure it out and we can play uh, Super Mario together. Oh, great. That would be awesome. Yeah. So, I I mean, it. I think the book did a great job of recreating, um, you know, kind of a factual basis of many of my childhood um, gaming memories. You know, I, I would agree. I, I have a lot of similar memories from playing the game. And uh, not only was it interesting to see the, the reasoning behind, uh, you know, a Italian plumber that is living in a mushroom kingdom, um, but the reasoning behind how that was created and where that came from, it was also really fascinating. Um, and then also to, to find out that Tom Hanks was cast to play Mario in the uh, movie that Nintendo released in the eighties, but then was fired because Nintendo didn't want to pay $5 million for uh, Tom Hanks. And they, they then tried to get uh, Danny DeVito, but that didn't work. And they ended up with, uh, I can't remember his last his name, uh, but from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's just a really interesting account of Nintendo and their process from uh, selling trading cards up into the Wii and uh, just constantly innovating. And it seems that they've, they've had trouble innovating since the Wii. And that was the first uh, interactive game uh, that was done well. And of course, Microsoft and PlayStation came out with their similar consoles. It would be really interesting to see what Nintendo has up their sleeve next. There's a discussion about a new console coming out, which uh, I don't know about you, but I'm actually pretty interested to see how that does. I think the yeah. uh, the stock prices for Nintendo, the last time 2000, in 2006 when the Wii came out, just shot up when they released a new console. So uh, it appears that the market's really interested in Nintendo and as a company and they're obviously in great financial shape. Yeah, they definitely have the balance sheet to innovate. If if, le if the company leadership pushes in that direction, I know in 2016 they're supposed to release their first game for the smartphone. <laughs> and, you know, with basically 30 years of uh, hit games, I mean, Mario is estimated, you know, games involving Mario um, are, you know, over $12 billion in sales. Yeah, wow. I mean, so they, they have this huge treasure chest of of old games that they could adapt for smartphones, uh, freemium models, um, you know, with that much cash and with that much uh, trademarked um, gaming, gaming, you know, old games. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens to Nintendo as a, as a publicly traded company in the future. It, it absolutely is. It, it's... Mario is one of those icons that when you think of video games, you think of Mario. Um, and then not only that, but Nintendo actually has rights to Zelda, which is another very popular game. So there really isn't any reason why Nintendo isn't uh, at the top of the, the game right now and, and leading the sort of uh, the video game platform. They, they've got these icons that everybody knows and has heard of. Um, so that if they can sort of breach the... the um, mobile phone and um, other platforms, I think that they could really reinvent themselves. You know you know what I think would be great, Chris, is if someone took this podcast and tweeted it to Carl Icahn, and Carl Icahn would buy a 10% stake in Nintendo and just scare everybody into innovation. I think, <laughs> I think you, know, you know, could you imagine what the stock price would do? Oh, my you know, gosh. With all that cash, with all that intellectual capital, um, 
someone to push them into the kind of the next, you know, next millennium of gaming. Um, wow, that'd be amazing. Yeah, that really would be. Uh, for those uh, listeners who don't know, who is Carl? Carl Icahn is a um, was a corporate raider in the '80s, hedge fund manager in the '90s and 2000s, and he's basically um, well known for sending out a single tweet regarding, say, Apple or any other stock, and uh, by taking a position in the company and forcing change, I'll actually wildly, wildly um, provide value for shareholders. And just just so everyone knows, you know, Carl, I think, is in his 80s and still cranking pretty strong. Right. Pretty amazing guy. He really I is. I don't know if you, I don't know if, you know, he'd be a good best friend, but <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Nintendo shareholders would be thrilled to hear that he took a 5 to 10% share in, in the company. Oh, I just looked to see what, what happened with Weight Watchers when Oprah uh, took a, a, a larger share in the company. I mean, I think it tripled in one day. Yeah. Right, and you know the the purpose of a business commuters podcast is not to provide stock stock quotes or stock advice because we're not we're not attorneys or professional investors, but uh, it's fun to opine on some of these things, Chris. Yeah, no, absolutely. Any anything that's expressed or implied is not should not be taken as investment uh, recommendations by any means. We don't own Nintendo stock, nor do we intend to in the next ninety days. But at 91 days, we might consider it. <laughs> well, cool. Well, well Chris, what, what what are the what are the takeaways for listeners on on this book? You know, it it's a great book. Uh, gives the early history of Nintendo. Spends uh, at times almost an annoying amount of information about how it was started and uh, every minute detail. But it, it really is a a, a great um, history of how Nintendo operated and the the different um, dichotomy of Japanese and American markets, um, which we haven't discussed, but you should definitely look for in the book, is the difference between the Japanese market and the American market and what consumers want. Um, but it really, like you said, tugged on your heartstrings of uh, this was part of a huge part of my childhood, all of my good friends and and I really bonded over playing Nintendo. Um, we between Zelda, Mario, so it, it was a great book for me to read. It, it made me relive my childhood, and I remember spending um, all of my Christmas break playing Nintendo from the moment I woke up to the morning or to the moment I went to sleep. So I really enjoyed this book. You're not going to find uh, the specific business ideas, mindsets. But you will find a great story uh, of Nintendo. What do you think, Nick? You know, I, I, I can't help but reflect on the fact that I'm 34. The last time I really had a relationship with Nintendo was probably um, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I'd won a, uh, um, a brokerage competition, um, and the company gave me a, a free Wii oh, wow. as a result. Uh, we ended up giving it away to some neighbor kids, um, you know. But we we played it for a couple of months, and I I really enjoyed it. I was just a little too busy at the time to fully appreciate it. But if at 34, I can't wait to open the box under the Christmas tree with a 20, jeez, oh, it's almost 30 year old system um, for my three and a half year old to play. You know, I paid 
paid $170 for this for this refurbished system. I hope it works. <laughs> My wife hasn't let me open it under the tree. But if I'm willing to pay that and I'm excited to share it with my son, who's three and a half, I hope he can figure out the controls. He's plays a really mean Angry Birds. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. But, you know, I, there's got to be a huge opportunity for Nintendo moving forward. Oh, I, I completely agree. Uh, everything says that Nintendo has room to grow. Room oh. to grow, strong balance sheet, you know, just a treasure chest of... Uh, you know, old games that can be enjoyed again. So, um, I I enjoyed this book, Chris. I did too. It, it it definitely has my seal of approval. Fantastic. Well, what are we reading next week, Chris? Next week we'll be reading part one of The Courage to Act: A Memoir of a Crisis and Its Aftermath by Ben S. Bernanke. So we'll be covering this book in in two parts. It's a very large, very detailed, in depth look at Ben Bernanke's life from uh, his life in South Carolina to being the chairman of the Fed during uh, arguably one of, um, well, the hardest time in America's uh, economic past. So uh, it's just very in-depth and will be taken in two parts. Yeah, well, I've started reading it. It's 624 pages of some of the cleanest, most interesting writing I've read. And so I, I can't wait to share this with our listeners. Yeah, without getting, going into too many details, uh, just wait until we release it. It's a great book, and I think you're going to really enjoy our review of it. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for listening to our first full episode of the Business Commuters Podcast. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, our our web, web links and Twitter handles are all in the show notes. And uh, uh, thank you so much for, for your time.